I'm loose. Our speaker this morning is uh, one of the featured speakers at the uh, banquet conference tomorrow, uh, one night only. Uh, she's a former uh, Miss Wisconsin, 1999, went on that year to finish in the uh, top 10 finalists in the Miss America pageant and number one in the uh, talent category. Uh, Mary Louise Curry is someone I met about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> and, uh, I have the gift of snap judgment. And uh, <laughs> I am thrilled that we have the privilege of having her, her here to both give her a bit of her own story, uh, but to speak to us about a matter that uh, affects us all profoundly. So would you welcome uh, Mary Louise Curry to Westmont College. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. And good morning, Westmont. All right, that's pretty good for Friday morning. I'm going to try once more. Good morning, Westmont. All right, were you guys pumped up by that music? I thought that was awesome. You have a great band here, don't you? And Paul was great. Let's give them a hand. They were awesome, weren't they? That was so great. Especially the guy on the guitar. He really rocked it. I thought he was good, hey? <laughs> now, you know... I'm here today to talk with you about some really fun topics. Today we're going to be talking about love. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. We're going to be talking about relationships. Yeah, those are cool, I think. Dating, that's great. Yes, we are even going to be talking about sex. Yeah. Now, usually the guys cheer, not always the girls. That's an unusual sign there. That's great, though. So we're going to have a lot of fun chatting today. And this morning, I'm going to share with you a bit of my story. And as I share with you my story, I'm going to ask you to think about your story, because each of us has a story. Each of us has a place that we've come from, stuff that we've had to overcome in our lives. And we also have places we're going, and we don't exactly know where that is oftentimes. But we've each got a story, because we've each got a purpose in this world. My grandfather died when I was very young. But I was always very close to him. Most of my early childhood memories are with him. And he would always t tell me, every child is brought into this world with a message, with a light clutched in his hand. But if that child is lost, then that message, that light, is lost to the world forever. I firmly believe that, that each of you, you and I, we were put on this earth for a reason. And God put inside of each of in, a bleh, God put inside of each of us an inner light, and each of us has a special purpose, a special mission. Now you may be sitting here and you might feel that light burning inside of you, and that's the Holy Spirit. Or you might be sitting here and you might think, I'm not into this. You might when when the uh, when the musicians were up here, you might have been sitting down thinking this isn't for me. But wherever you're at right now in your relationship with God, in the way that you feel that light, if you feel it, believe it, if you don't feel it at all, you were put on this earth for a reason. God called you into existence by name. You didn't just happen, but that you were put on this earth for a reason, to bring your special light to the world. And that's something that's awesome. And so I'm going to share with you my story, and as I share that with you, I want you to think about your story, too, and what this story means in your life. Now, I was born in upstate New York. I'm the youngest of four, two older brothers and an older sister. 
And we moved to Wisconsin when I was about six years old. And my parents were pretty strict. In fact, my sister went to the Air Force Academy. And when she went there, everyone was complaining, all the freshmen, about all the rules. And she said, are you kidding me? This is freedom compared to where I came from. I mean, my dad was really, really strict. And I didn't like that. But now I'm, I'm grateful to him for it because I realized that it's a lot easier to be lenient, but to be strict to hold the line. That meant that he really loved me and he protected me, sometimes from myself and the stuff that I wanted to do. But I went to kind of a rough school, and in seventh grade, my locker was next to the locker of a kid who sold cocaine. And a lot of my classmates, even in seventh grade, were sexually active. And that year, I made a commitment in my life. I made the choice that I wasn't going to have sex until marriage. And today, here I am, 27 years old, with an active dating life. I have a pretty serious boyfriend right now. We've been dating for about 11 months. And I've had a number of serious relationships. And I feel so grateful to God that through all that temptation, all the relationships that I've had and everything in my life, that today I can stand before you and say that I'm a virgin and it's the best choice I've ever made in my life. But you know, thank you. But you know, today I'm not here to just talk to the people who are virgins. I'm not here to talk just to the people who aren't virgins. I'm not here to talk to the people who are virgins but don't want to be virgins. I'm here today to talk with everybody. Because, you know, I think that, that virginity, virginity is a beautiful gift. But it can also be overemphasized. I'm sure that you guys know there are people out there who are what they call technical virgins. They say, how much can I do and still technically be called a virgin? Right? And then there are people out there who have said, I'm not a virgin. I've made mistakes, but I'm embracing purity in my life. Today I'm making a new beginning. Do you know some people out there like that? Amen. Yes. My boyfriend is a secondary virgin. Yeah, he, you know, he was with another woman before me, and he decided that he wanted to choose the best in his life. He wanted to choose the gift that God really wanted to give him, which is an awesome marriage in the future. He decided that he didn't want to have to deal with all of that emotional burden, with that risk to his future of pregnancy outside of marriage or STDs, emotional scars from premarital sex, a relationship that, where people are sexually active and then it ends, that hurts. And he decided he didn't want that anymore and he made a new beginning in his life. And that's an awesome choice to make. And for those of you out there who are in that position, I ask that today you say in your heart, Lord, open my heart and let me see your will. And help me today, if you're calling me to, to make that new beginning, to stand with courage to make a new beginning in my life. Because we all need to make new beginnings. I know about that too. Just because I'm a virgin, that doesn't mean that I've been perfect in my life. I've made mistakes. But God helps me to make a new beginning. But, you know, I wasn't always so outspoken about this. When I was in high school, I wasn't going around like, hey, I'm a virgin, right here. You know, you're looking for a virgin, you came to the right place. You know, I, was, I was not like that at all. I was totally embarrassed. I was totally embarrassed about this. A lot of my friends were sexually active, and you know what I thought? I thought, that is none of my business. I thought, who am I to tell them what to do? Especially since they were using condoms. I thought, oh, okay, they're safe. You know, who cares? Then when we were about 15 years old, one of my friends got pregnant when she and her boyfriend were engaging in so-called safe sex. 
You see, no one had told us what had actually come out in the New England Journal of Medicine that year. And if you want to be a doctor, you know that's one of the best medical journals in the world. And this report said that 14 to 17% of couples who use condoms to avoid pregnancy get pregnant within 12 months. And that number increases for women under 25. 14 to 17%. And unfortunately, my friend fell into that category. I remember sitting with her in the cafeteria. She's crying. She doesn't know what she's going to do because people had told her, if you do this, you're safe. You won't get pregnant. And I wish that, that were, it were that simple. But she was crying because now she only had one of three choices to make. To have her baby, keep her baby, raise her baby as a single mom, in her case as a 15-year-old mom. To place her child with a family in adoption, a beautiful choice, totally giving choice, but also a painful choice. Or to have an abortion and deal with the serious spiritual and psychological and emotional consequences that come with that choice. She decided to keep her baby, and she brought her baby home, Molly, and her parents threw her out of the house. So she moved in with her boyfriend and his mom. Didn't really have anywhere else to go. But his mom was awesome. She took care of their kid while my friend and her boyfriend finished high school. My friend actually was one of the lucky ones. Because only about three out of ten girls who get pregnant before they're 18 earn their high school diploma by the time they are 30. So my friend was lucky. But, you know, we didn't see her when we went to the movies or for pizza, did those cool teenager things, and now we're all so beyond, right? We didn't see her or her boyfriend because now they were parents. And when they weren't doing uh, mother-father things with their daughter, they had to work because she needed baby formula and diapers and she had to go to the doctor for this and that and all that stuff. And they didn't have time to have fun with us anymore. So they graduated and his mom said, okay, I've been caring for your kid now for three years. You need to move out and care for her on your own. So they did. They got jobs that working opposite shifts because in Milwaukee you can't afford daycare and just a high school education. And they never got to see each other. And we all thought their relationship is going to last. They knew that. They knew someday they were going to get married. They just thought, well, we're so young right now, we don't want to do that. They didn't get married. Their relationship ended. And today my friend, she's my age, she has an 11-year-old daughter, going on 12 now. And her life is filled with regrets. She said to me, I love my little girl. She said, Molly is the biggest blessing of my life. And then she said, but I wonder what our lives would be like today if I had waited. She wishes that she had waited. But the awesome thing about her life is that God has a plan B for her. Yeah, God has a plan A for all of us. But he gives us freedom of choice because that's what real love is letting that person have a choice. And he gives us freedom of choice. But if we don't make the right choices, he's got a plan B. And he's got a plan B for my friend, too. Even though her life is pretty tough sometimes. So I went to college then at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And when I went to the cafeteria with my friend, whom I'm going to call Katie, when I went to the cafeteria with Katie, I would have all this food on my tray because, frankly, I have a pretty big appetite. And you can ask Jamie that. She, 
she's seen me eating around here. In fact, yesterday I brought, bought a Clark bar and then all these cookies, and I ate them all. I don't know why I ate all this stuff, but I do that when I'm on the road, you know. But anyway, so I go to the cafeteria, have my tray filled with food, and my friend, Katie, we're going to call her, she's eating hardly anything. A few carrot sticks, celery sticks. I thought, eh, no big deal. Well, anyway, Katie was pre-law, wanted to be a judge someday, and she was very smart, and she was engaged to a guy who was an engineering major, also a very smart guy, and they were seniors when I was just a lowly freshman at this school. And they were good friends of mine. They graduated. They got married. I sang at their wedding. It was beautiful. Three months later, Katie had a nervous breakdown. And I was shocked. I couldn't understand what happened. This woman who had her life so together, I wanted to be like her. So every day after class for about a week, I would climb the hill to Sacred Heart Hospital to visit her in her room in the mental health unit. And one day she turned to me, you know, as we just talked about everyday things, she turned to me and she said, you know what, I'd thought about waiting until I was married to have sex. I'm like, what? <laughs> We'd never really talked about this before. And she said, but a few years ago, my boyfriend and I were in a really passionate moment and we decided that we would just do it. And she said, I got pregnant. And he and his mom wanted me to have an abortion. So I did. And she said, every night since then, I lie in bed and I hear that little baby's voice crying out to me. And she said, that little baby wanted life. And I took it from him. And she said, I hated myself so much for doing that, that I would just try to escape in food, and I would binge on Kit Kats and candy bars. She said, sometimes I'd make myself throw up, and sometimes I wouldn't. She said, finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I hated myself so much. And that's how I ended up here, in this psychiatric ward. That was six and a half years ago. And today, Katie and her husband, they're still married. And amazingly, he was the father of that baby. And they got married, and they tried to have a kid, and they couldn't. They tried for five years. And the doctors finally said to her, you know, you can't have any children. This was a huge sadness in their lives. But then amazingly, about a year ago, Katie got pregnant. It was a very high-risk pregnancy, but she had a very healthy little girl. And she and her husband are, are moving on as she's dealing with healing in her life. The healing that comes with that, that decision the healing that needs to come with that decision. Today, Katie is not a lawyer or a judge. She arranges flowers because she can't handle any more stress than doing that. So she works in a flower shop. She arranges flowers. Yeah, her life has painful regrets. But God has given her a plan B, too. But you know, when I look at these young women's lives, I think about their regrets. And then I think about my regrets. 
Because I think, especially in the life of my friend from high school, if I had said something, would her life be different today? I realized I am my brother's keeper. And that was my business. And God, he gives us chances to step up to the plate. And if we choose not to take them, those things go undone. I struck out, you might say. (laughs) I had a chance. I had an opportunity. My friends were making choices. I knew what they were doing. And I chose not to say anything because I didn't have the courage. I justified it's none of my business. And because I didn't do it, nobody else did. I'm saying that to you because today there are many of you in here who have already made this commitment to wait. And that's awesome. Yeah, that rocks. But there are many of you in here who have made this commitment and your friends have not. And you know what your friends are doing. And I encourage you to stand with courage, to reach out lovingly. This isn't, I'm I'm not talking about something that's condemning. I mean, as I said, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. But I'm talking about something that's loving and encouraging. Because more than anything, this isn't about avoiding negative consequences, pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases. I want to say something about STDs very briefly, but this isn't about that. STDs. Now, last July, the NIH, that's the National Institutes of Health, released a report called the Scientific Evidence of Condom Effectiveness Against Sexually Transmitted Disease Prevention. Now say that seven times fast. So (laughs) they released this report, and you know what it said? It said condoms don't protect against diseases passed through skin contact, like herpes and human papillomavirus, HPV, the most prevalent STD in the U.S., which infects more than 5 million people every year. Condoms don't protect against those because they are passed through skin contact. In one school, they did a study of sexually active freshman girls who entered this school. When they entered, it was at Rutgers University, actually, 10% of the girls had HPV. By their junior year, 60% of the sexually active girls had HPV. It's estimated that one out of four sexually active singles has this disease. And it leads to cervical cancer and causes more women's deaths every year than HIV. It's very, very serious. It can also lead to other problems like infertility. It gives guys cancer too on their (laughs) areas. (laughs) And so... These diseases are very serious, and there's nothing that's safe that can protect somebody from these. And I'm going to say one word about the pill, too, while we're at it. Might as well just cover all the bases real quick here. And that's that a report came out that showed that 18 out of 20 studies done since 1980 indicate that women who take the pill before their first pregnancy have a 40% increased risk of breast cancer. I'm just going to put that out there. Because you know what? When you go out and turn on uh, Friends, you don't hear Jennifer Aniston saying, oh my gosh, I I might be putting myself at risk for breast cancer. (laughs) 
People don't talk about those things, but it's the truth and we need to know about it. But talking about all this very glum stuff, those aren't the reasons to embrace chastity, purity, to wait, to make the commitment to wait. Now, believe me, though, if these things compel you to do that, that's great. (laughs) But beyond avoiding pregnancy and STDs is being open to the awesome vision that God has for your life that God wants to give you and me true love. He wants us to have a real soulmate relationship, not some stupid thing that we see on Felicity that people think is passionate, but he wants us to experience real passion. He wants us to experience real love. And I'll tell you that living out purity in dating gives you awesome chemistry. I mean, when my boyfriend holds my hand, it's like, whoa fireworks you know that's awesome and you know this translates into marriage as well this translates into marriage as well one study showed that people who were the most sexually satisfied were married couples married couples this study this study showed and it was a very well-known study the Lowerman study from the University of Chicago married couples have the best sex and among, and interestingly, girls, you'll like this, the most sexually satisfied were monogamous Christian women. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Interestingly enough, a little subdivision of that, just a side note, Catholic women were not quite as satisfied but had sex more frequently. So very interesting. <laughs> but these were all married women. These, were mar- these are couples who are married. You know, when I go on to a show, Politically Incorrect, which probably some of you are familiar with, they try to, first of all, nobody on that show I've ever been with has ever been happily married. Their lives are always a mess, these Hollywood people. They think they know everything. Meanwhile, they're miserable in their own personal lives. But they always try to paint this picture. Oh, you know, sex is great before marriage. Then when you get married, it stops. Well, it's like, you know why? Because... You set yourself up for that. Because God says that sex is something really beautiful, really awesome and special. But when somebody treats it like it's something ordinary, how can they expect to reap the best rewards? How can they expect to have it be that beautiful, awesome thing that God has intended to be in their lives? Studies also show that about 50% of marriages end in divorce. And probably many of you come from families where your parents are divorced. That might make us think, well, what's the point of waiting? My marriage is going to break up anyway. But studies show that in marriages between two virgins, the divorce rate is less than 2%. In marriages between two secondary virgins, the divorce rate is less than 5%. And that's awesome. That's something that's so beautiful. The other day on the news, there were some young men from this school who stood up and talked about what it means to be a man. I think it was like Eugene, Mark, and Tyler. Is that right? (laughs) And you know what they said? I was so impressed, too. I was like, man, if I were a little younger, I'd like these guys. (laughs) But you know? (laughs) You know what they said, though? They said, they talked about real love, that real love respects, 
and real love waits. They talked about how being a real man, it's easy to just go and have sex. I mean, here's my little side note, that animals have sex all the time, you know. I mean, that doesn't take a man to do that. But they said, <laughs> they said that a real man was somebody who makes the commitment to wait until marriage and lives that out. That is a real man. Real love requires sacrifice. We see that from Jesus himself. He made the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. And that is what builds an awesome soulmate relationship. If you're in a relationship right now that's sexually active, I want you to know that sex creates a kind of mask. Really, any relationship can last for a few months or even a few years if a couple is having sex. Because it gives that feeling that you really know that person, you're really intimate with them, and they're your soulmate because you're having sex. But the other, more substantive parts of the relationship are often being glossed over. If you want to have an awesome lifetime relationship with this person, then you want to wait. Because then you create that firm foundation. And beyond that, marriage can be the most beautiful gift that God gives each one of us. God doesn't give us rules to make our lives a misery. He gives us these rules because he wants to give us the very best in our lives. I want to share a song with you now, and this song is going to close it out. And afterwards, I'll be up here, and you can come up and talk and ask questions if you want personally and stuff like that. This song is called Hero. It's by Mariah Carey. You might think, well, what does this have to do with abstinence? Come on, hero. It's that each one of us, first, it takes a hero, really, in our culture to stand for purity today. But each one of us is called to that kind of heroism. So if you can start the tape, please. This is hero.